Welcome to Pets of the Confessional, open, open honest discussion about life as a pet. Brought to you by Time to Pet. Hello, everybody, and welcome back. Introducing kids to pets and pets to kids is a very tricky topic and one that pet sitters actually find ourselves in quite frequently. Whether we have kids of our own that we take to meet and greets and do walks and drop-ins with, or we interact with clients who have kids as well as pets. How we handle these conversations, how we handle these sort of introductions and interactions need to be done in the utmost safe and professional manner. Today, Alicia Obando, owner of Pitter Patter Parenting, joins us to discuss her mission to keep kids and pets safe at all times and how pet sitters can play a major role. Let's dive right in. I'm the owner of a company called Pitter Patter Parenting, and I live in Chicago, Illinois, uh, with a dog and four cats, Um, and uh, I work with families who have pets. How did Pitter Patter Parenting get started? Well, I used to be, I started off as a child and family therapist um, and have worked uh, in different capacities with families for a while. Um, And then I was working with pets in the animal welfare arena um, in an animal shelter and a veterinary hospital. Um, And I started a nonprofit, um, gosh, I don't know, 10 years ago now, um, called Pets Are Like Family which uh, was kind of the beginning of pitter-patter parenting because it was uh, my attempt to put working with families and working with pets together. Um, So putting both of my passions together. uh, And that nonprofit was to help families with limited resources um, take care of their pets. And uh, I really enjoyed doing that and wanted to somehow turn that into a career so I actually closed down the nonprofit and started Pitter Patter Parenting as a business um, to help families manage their pets in a way that keeps everybody safe. I really like your your background that you have there. Um, how do you think having a background in counseling and psychology shaped how you look at pets and kids and, and family? Well, working as a child and family therapist, uh, for many years really made me uh, learn about family dynamics and how individuals behavior affects everyone else in the family. Um, And to really kind of learn the systems that are in place in each family that leads to the positive outcomes, but also to some of the dysfunctions. Um, And, you know, to really see the vulnerabilities in all of us um, and that we're all just doing the best we can uh, with the resources we have at the time. Um, sometimes, unfortunately, I find that some people who work with pets get so focused on the pet um, and don't uh, see the, you know, what the whole family is going through um, and can often be maybe judgmental about the family and how they are uh, caring for their pet. But we really need to understand and empathize with everyone in the family and uh, to just assume best intentions. And a lot of times, you know, we do better when we know better. Part of my job is to help families uh, learn best practices for pet care um, and also for pet and child interactions. Yeah, a lot of people say, oh, my pet is a part of the family. But, you know, the way you're phrasing a lot of this stuff is there is so much involved in that one statement of if you truly believe that, and, and they actually are, there's a lot of these dynamics that are going on as, as one person is changing or their behavior is one thing that's having these broad effects on everyone around them. And if you're not aware of that or know what to look for, you know, you can wind up five, 10 years down the road with some serious problems and kind of probably not know how you ended up there. Yeah, right. Right. And, uh, you know, one of the main issues that I deal with that is such a huge one incident that affects the whole family is the birth of a baby, Um, you know, and how that changes everything, um, especially if it's the first one, the first child, um, that changes everything for the dog um, and obviously for the humans in the family as well. Um, So, yeah, so kind of learning about how it's all interconnected, everyone in the family. Um, and how everyone, therefore, has to be working together um, to be part of the solution. 
why do you think that that mission of educating and helping families and, and with kids and pets work together and have healthy relationships. Why is that so important these days? Is that a new phenomenon? Or are we becoming more aware of the effects that, that, that it, that's having? Well, I think that uh, dogs are much more a part of the family than they used to be, at least when people you know self-identify that way um, on surveys and stuff that they do consider their pet a part of the family. That wasn't always the case. Uh, a lot of times pet li- pets lived more outdoors and um, and now they're eating in our kitchens, they're sleeping in our beds, uh, they're riding with us in the car, um, they're going to parties with us, you know, we're, we're entertaining together. Um, and, uh, and so I think that because of that, um, it has increased people's desire uh, to learn more about pets, uh, to do better by them. Um, but it also means that they're in closer proximity to the people in the family. Uh, and so this has increased the need for behavior management. We're, we suddenly have to teach our dogs what the rules are inside of our homes. Um, these are not things that the dog knows automatically. You know, when they're chewing on your shoe, uh, they don't know they're doing something bad. They're doing a natural behavior that's completely appropriate for a dog. Uh, It's just not appropriate for us in our homes. So we have to teach them what these new rules are um, that are, you know, appropriate for humans and not necessarily for dogs. So uh, I think there's just a lot of, of that, a lot of teaching them how to live in a human world, much more so now. Um, And, you know, when we have kids involved, um, you know, there's just a lot more uh, that you have to be aware of so that everyone stays safe. Yeah, and you kind of touched on this is that you're, it's both teaching and educating the dog, the pet, as well as the owners, the, the human people as part of the family. So in thinking of those two contexts, uh, what kind of services do you provide to a family uh, who, who's seeking help? My uh, services are basically under three pillars. I provide pet care, pet education, and pet support. So uh, the pet care portion is what led me to you and your lovely podcast. Um, Because I uh, do dog walking, uh, vacation pet care, and I board small dogs in my home. Um, and, And the pet education part is the classes that I teach. I teach classes classes to children and to expectant parents on dog safety. Um, I also do um, private consults in families' homes, um, and those usually fall under two categories. Either it's um, a family that's going to have a baby, uh, so it's the expectant parents, but they're doing it one-on-one instead of in a class, or it's uh, I help a lot of families integrate a new pet into the home. And I always tell people I'm not a dog trainer, that, um, and if I feel that that's uh, you know, they're going to need a private dog trainer. I, I have my list of referrals for them. But I help people get started on the right foot. Um, and a big part of what I do in all of my classes or consults or education in general is helping people learn how to prevent problems, how to be prepared. Um, so often people just wait for their to, you know, for something to happen and then try to rush around. Oh, my gosh, how do I fix it? Um, so helping families learn from the get-go when they first get their dog, what kind of supplies do they need? How should they set up their home? How do you potty train? Uh, what about the importance of crate training? And then how to get the right professionals in their life, how to select a good vet, a good dog trainer, um, uh, a groomer, uh, you know, what kind of questions should you be asking? What kind of certifications do you need to be looking for? All that kind of stuff. Um, and then the pet support, the third pillar, um, I have been certified as a pet loss counselor. So I offer pet loss support um, to people who are grieving the loss of their pet. Wow, that's quite a lot uh, that you have going <laughs> on there. <laughs> that's that's yes. really cool. And and what I love there is that central to that is you're really acting kind of as this mediator to families and other resources that are out there that can be so daunting to somebody who has no idea where to start what terms are what, you know, as you mentioned, certifications or all of this stuff that's out there for for you to be able to come alongside them and say, look, I'm not an expert in these things, but I can point you to some people who are, or I can give these resources to you. I think that's 
that's really cool and is such an important factor that I think kind of get lost a lot of times as a as a pet sitter or as a dog walker, those kind of things of if we can really act as such a resource to get people connected to other things that they might not even know to think about. Right. I mean, not everybody has the time or for that matter, the desire to become, uh, you know, a pet professional, to be knowledgeable in all things pet. Um, and, you know, that's what we're there for is to help them with their pets. And I see myself as kind of being their one person who provides, um, you know, what they need from the second they get their pet until their pet crosses the rainbow bridge. I want to be the person who is able to help them through all of their pet care challenges. Um, and, you know, being able to refer them to quality professionals is so important. Um, cause as you know, there are so many, um, unqualified folks out there, um, <laughs> because there really isn't the industry. I don't think, um, has caught up yet with, uh, the demand, uh, for high quality pet professionals. Um, anybody can hang out a shingle and call themselves a dog trainer. Um, so how does somebody know how to pick a good one versus one who's maybe not, uh, as experienced as they, they could be, um, and, and the same thing with veterinary hospitals, you know, how do they know what, which hospital stands above the rest? Um, and there are certain ways um, to easily do that um, by knowing what certifications to look for and things like that. So I do think that, um, that just being able to have me as their go-to person uh, has been helpful for a lot of my families. And it's interesting how it starts in one place um, and then suddenly I, you know, I'm doing all these other things for them. Um, when all they started off needing was, you know, dog walking or all, they came to one of my dog plus baby classes and suddenly I'm walking their dog, I'm boarding their dog, I'm helping them find a new vet. Um, so it really feels good to know that if they have a, a pet care question, um, they know that they can ask me. And if I don't know the answer, I will find them the person that does. That's just really cool. I, I love hearing you talk about that. And, and, and yeah, I think that is, it can be very challenging and it is very hard, but to know that you know your clients and the people out there look at to you as a as a dependable resource, someone that they can trust and will be open and honest with them about stuff. That that's that's huge. Yeah, and I think for any pet care professional, um, like you said, you know, being knowledgeable about those things so you can tell your clients that makes your service so much more valuable, and that really makes you stand apart from perhaps the other dog walking service in town. You mentioned this earlier, and I want to go back and touch on this. Um, as part of your your services that you provide, a lot of times you're dealing with a family who has a new baby. And a lot of times people want to bring on a new dog or cat right with that newborn baby. I, that's really common. It, how can people help make that process go smoother? Well, I would suggest not to do it. <laughs> I mean, having a baby is a full-time job, um, as you know. Um, mm -hmm. and if you don't already have a pet before the baby arrives, it's, I think best to wait until the, the home calm downs a bit, calms down a bit and everybody gets a handle on, on, you know, what needs to be done to, to do what you need to do for your baby. Mm -hmm. Um, especially because a dog needs a lot of training. It, it'd be a little bit different for a cat. Um, but a dog needs, needs a lot of training. And so it wouldn't be fair to the baby or to the dog because you're not going to be able to give either one of them all the attention that would be required um, for their appropriate care. So uh, I would definitely suggest waiting um, to, to not get a puppy and a baby at the same time. <laughs> that sounds like a nightmare. <laughs> yeah, it, it can be very tempting, though. Like I said, we know we know people personally that have done that. And yeah. I you know my wife and I barely survived having two young ones. And those first few months where it was just like, I don't know what's up or what's down. I can't imagine having a puppy as well. We're having to do right. all the additional training and potty training and getting them used to a system when there is no system in the house, when the baby's so little, it's a, yeah. it, the whole world becomes topsy-turvy at that, at that point. And it's really not fair to that puppy um, because you're not going to be giving that puppy the, the attention that it needs. And then it, you're going to have problems because mm -hmm. um, everyone always thinks everything's going to be just fine. Oh, it'll work out. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> and then six months later, you have a dog that's chewing everything and still peeing in the house and, you know, God forbid, nipping at the, the baby. So that's not the time to seek training. You got to start from the very beginning. 
Now, what my wife and I actually did was um, we we had a an kind of an older dog uh, beforehand. He was uh, he was eight at the time, as an eight year old dachshund, and we were bringing a newborn baby into that. And so, I, I'm interested in kind of this difference between bringing a child into a home with established pets versus bringing a pet into a home with an established family already existing, kind of comparing and contrast some of those differences? Well, I think the way that you did it is the most common way because people do often use a dog as like their starter child. <laughs> you know, the <laughs> yeah. couple gets together, they get a dog, um, and then a couple years go by and they decide it's time to have a baby. So that's usually how it goes. Mm-hmm. Um, although every once in a while, um, you know, there are parents out there um, who just aren't pet people, never had a dog, never wanted to have a dog, but then their kids start begging for one. And then that's when you get a dog after the kids. Um, and, you know, either way, you're going to have management and training issues to deal with um, for the pet and for the kids. Um, and it can really work either way. It's really all about um, doing uh, due diligence to be prepared beforehand. So um, selecting the pet that is right for your home, if you already have kids, um, a lot of people select a pet based on cuteness <laughs> and uh, not necessarily whether it's a good lifestyle match, um, which is so important. So, you know, how do you select the pet? Um, and then when you do have the pet, have you done preparation with your kids ahead of time? You know, this is what it's going to entail uh, to take care of a pet. Uh, and I always tell parents, if you don't want a dog, if you're not going to be taking care of them, then don't get one because the kids will promise till the cows come home that they're going to take care of everything, but they're not. You're going to be responsible as the adult. So you have to be prepared to be the one who takes them out when nobody else wants to and, and all that kind of stuff. So having those conversations with your kids about realistic expectations, levels of responsibility, um, and, and also safety concerns. And one of the classes I teach, um, it's called I Love Dogs, um, that actually uh, teaches kids about pet care. And I always recommend that class for families who are thinking about getting a dog um, and, uh, and or just, just got one. A lot of the kids who come are actually just kids that are begging <laughs> for one. And so the parents are like, okay, let's go to this class. And so in the class, they uh, practice how to walk a dog on a leash. Um, I use my little Yorkie mix as a demo dog with all the kids' classes. And they walk her on the leash. Um, they learn how to pick up poop. Of course, it's fake, but <laughs> they pick up poop. Um, they do treats. They groom her. Um, they um, uh, feed her in a bowl. Um, so they do all the kinds of stuff that you would have to do if you're going to get a pet. And we talk a lot about all the responsibilities and which kinds of dogs they like and don't like, and therefore, you know, what might be a good fit for them. Um, so those are all the kinds of things that. I would do ahead of time to be properly prepared if you're bringing the the dog in after you've already had kids. Now, if you already have the dog um, and a baby is coming, um, then it's all about preparing the dog, but also preparing the space. Um, And what is huge about that is there are so many changes that are coming to that baby, not just the actual baby um, coming into the house. It is all the equipment that makes noises and lights up and is in di- makes the arrangement of the house different because the dog bed used to be there, but now the dog bed's been moved because the, um, you know, the, the baby seat is going to be there. Um, and so there are so many changes that are happening that the dog has no idea about. Um, scheduling is another one. Maybe mom is always the one who gets up every morning and walks the dog. But once the baby comes, Suddenly, the dog's going to go to a doggy daycare or going to have a dog walker. Um, And so all these changes are very confusing for the dog. And so being prepared by putting these systems in place before the baby comes, rearranging furniture, turning on the equipment, taking your dog for a walk with the empty stroller, getting them used to the changes over time will make that uh, baby coming home not be as stressful. So again, it's all about proper preparations um, for yourself, for your home, um, and for the two and four-legged critters. 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, you, you mentioned, you know, that kind of, kind of preparing the way uh, for bringing a baby home with a, with a dog that's there. And you mentioned those stuff. And I, I'm thinking back to all the stuff that we were trying to do with our dog at the time. And it was, it was, it was one part necessity of getting all of the stuff out to when, for when the baby arrived, but it was also this okay, yeah, this is where the stroller is going to be stored. And this is where the crib is going to be. And just getting the dog used to that space. And, and right. I don't know, I don't know if this helped at all. Uh, but one of our friends had told us to play crying baby sounds it, to see how the dog reacted. Um, yeah, yeah, and, that's, a, okay. that's a good thing to do. Sure. <laughs> okay, okay. So uh, we, we were kind of on track with that. And he, he wasn't bothered by that at all. Um, but mm -hmm. so that was at least good to know. But yeah, there are just these these things of there's a, a new person in the space and you can do a lot of prep work to help ease the, the anxieties of the dog beforehand instead of just showing up with a brand new baby and putting it all out there at one time. Right, right. And, and even just getting dog things taken care of, getting the vet appointment and all the shots done. You don't want to have to do that a month after the baby's born because you forgot that those vaccines were about to expire. Right. Um, getting stocked up on all the meds and the food and getting a bunch of pongs stuffed with good things that you throw in the freezer. So you have something to give the dog when suddenly your hands are full with the baby and your dog's looking for attention. Um, so just a lot of preparation stuff that we go through in my dog's baby class. Hmm. Yeah, no, that that's good because whenever you're bringing home a baby, typically you'll stockpile pre-made meals for the rest of the family. Um, right. But but why not go ahead and stockpile pre-made treats and stuffed Kongs for the dog? I, I had never thought about it. I really like that idea. And not rushing the introductions is another big one that I think uh, parents aren't always um, aware of. The dog does not have to love the baby and be giving it kisses, you know, at the beginning. Um, you know, it, the, that first week is really so crucial for the parent and baby bonding. Um, and it's okay if the baby doesn't, you know, get to meet or the dog doesn't get to meet the baby right away you know take it at your own speed um he doesn't have to be face to face <laughs> i mean he can just sniff his foot um maybe on day two or whatever um you know speed works for for what's going on in your home um but just to give yourself permission to you know not have them be you know, mad best friends, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah, because you can, you know, you can get on Instagram, Facebook, and go online and see all those cute, adorable pictures of the the brand new, you know, the newborn baby snuggling up with the the lab or whatever, and and you may, you know, that just pulls at your heart strings to want that so bad. But as you mentioned, that that takes time, and that might not happen for a while. And to not force that, and to kind of be okay with with there being distance at times. Yes, and many of us who work in canine behavior cringe at so many of those photos that people post online um, because you can see in you know the face of the dog that they're not comfortable. Um, one thing is hugging and kissing. That is not normal for dogs. That's not how they greet each other, um, and it's very typical for you know people, especially kids, to want to you know squeeze a cute dog. Um, but that is just asking um, for a bite in the face uh, for so many um, dogs and kids. And so just, you know, it's not worth it to have that adorable <laughs> picture to put your dog and your child at risk. And even if there's no bite because you have a wonderfully tolerant dog, um, just because they're tolerating it doesn't mean they're enjoying it. And we need to be really respectful of what their mm, needs are as well. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, on that note, um, as pet sitters, we interact a lot with families and their pets. Most of the time we're there when the family's not, but we are there on occasion when the family is there with the pet, whether to drop off stuff or just to ask further questions or clarification. What are some warning signs that we can be watchful of in the family dynamic that may have some safety implications down the road? And how, how can we best bring that to the family's attention? Well, I think the most important thing for all of us, pet care professionals or pet parents, need to learn is uh, how to understand canine and feline mm -hmm. communication. Luckily, now we live in the age where there are so many wonderful resources online. Um, you can find YouTube videos about canine communication. Um, there's online classes you can take. But just knowing what are the stress signals um, that a dog is showing you 
uh, to let you know that they're uncomfortable. Um, that is so key. I would, you know, anybody who walks dogs should definitely um, know these things, you know, just some of the general, and some people call them um, displacement behaviors, calming signals, stress signals, they have different names, but basically it's the way the dog is telling you that they're not comfortable. Um, and, you know, that can be, um, uh, you know, the placement of the ears being down, um, the mouth being closed. When I'm talking to kids and families about dogs that are appropriate and not appropriate to approach, a happy dog is going to be very loose and wiggly. A dog that is very stiff, that is um, staring or looking away, um, because there's a difference between them being, you know, uh, overly aroused um, and, you know, the kind of there's always the fight or flight um, sort of thing. You know, a dog that is leaning forward, mouth tight, staring, um, that's a dog that I would be nervous around. Um, but also on the other side of the spectrum, the fearful dog which is usually the main reason a dog bites is out of fear. Um, and that's, you know, the dog that perhaps uh, slinks away, looks away, his ears are down, his tail is tucked, all those sorts of things. So you want to be able, as a pet parent or a pet professional, to look at how the animal is talking. Um, in one of the um, organizations that uh, I got information from to teach a kid's class, they talk about um, uh, the, from ears, tails, um, uh, all the way to the, uh, from one end of the body to the other. You're looking at everything in their body language, the mouth, the eyes, the ears. Um, is the hair standing up on the back of their neck? What's the placement of their tail? Uh, so it's really important to know what you're looking at so that you can prevent a problem by either removing the dog from the uncomfortable situation or removing whatever is making the dog uncomfortable, whether it's a child or you know, whatever it is. Um, so those are the things that I would say everybody needs to be looking out for uh, to prevent problems. Have you heard about Time to Pet? Susan from The Pet Gal has this to say. Time to Pet has helped us grow exponentially. We believe the platform's features make us by far more professional than other companies who use conventional dashboards. They are the software gurus constantly developing and improving the platform based on user feedback. This decision was a good one. If you are looking for new pet sitting software for your business, give Time to Pet a try. As a listener of Pet Sitter Confessional, you'll get 50% off your first three months when you sign up at timetopet.com slash confessional. So what are some of the most common problems or concerns that you see with families that have both kids and pets? Uh, well, I think, as I mentioned earlier, the most common problem I see is the assumption that there is no problem. Um, you know, just not, not preparing um, at all. Um, and also, you know, calling you in if there's been a bite or, or a growl or there's some concern between the dog and the child. and Calling you in to basically fix the dog um, and not realize that perhaps, you know, it's because of what's being done to the dog or what's happening around the dog, um, not looking at their own behavior. Uh, for instance, one of my clients um, called me and I originally met them about two years ago because the dog had bit the toddler three times already. And I get there and the toddler's being, you know, a usual one and a half, two-year-old little boy. He's bouncing all over the place, um, but he is not at all respecting the dog's boundaries. Um, he's jumping on the dog, and this is a little Frenchie, so it's not yeah. even a big dog. Uh, and at one point, you know how Frenchies don't really have much yeah. of a tail. The little boy likes to stink, stick his finger where it doesn't belong in the doggy's oh. rear end. And, um, you know, and the parents said, oh, he loves to do that. We don't know why he loves to do that. And Realizing that that's not okay. Yeah. <laughs> no, no wonder your dog's not happy. <laughs> um, so just things like that where if parents uh, and dog owners, whether they have kids or not, you know, there's a problem with their dog, they want you to fix the dog. Um, and just really realizing, okay, what do I need to be doing differently um, to help solve this problem? Because perhaps, you know, I'm contributing yeah. <laughs> um, to, to this problem. And a lot of times, again, it's not that people are 
you know, doing malicious things on purpose. They just don't necessarily right. know, um, you know, what's appropriate or what's not appropriate, um, you know. And so it's it's our job to to just help provide some resources. And you know, you said how do you talk to families? I um, mean, obviously you have to be, you know, diplomatic about things. Um, you know, the old saying, people don't care how much you know until they know how mm. much you care. Um, so developing that good relationship with them so they feel comfortable um, talking to you is important. Uh, and I think a big part of developing that relationship is always trying to provide assistance um, to them. How can I help you with this? Um, as opposed to, you know, well, you shouldn't be doing that or, you know, saying things that are going to shut yeah. people down because they're feeling judged um, and not keeping them open to your ideas. So in your courses and when you're doing these counseling or consulting sessions, how much do you find yourself teaching the person versus teaching the pet as far as like ratios go? Well, when it comes to my classes um, for the kids or for the expected parents, um, it's 100% teaching the people. The pets aren't even in class. Um, and when I'm doing the private consultations in the home, it is, oh gosh, probably 80 to 90% um, teaching the people. Uh, because I'm, again, I'm not there to train the dog. I'm there to teach the people what they can be doing to help their dog succeed um, and to help them um, live harmoniously in their home based on the human rules um, and, and what the connections are between the people's behavior and the animal's behavior. Um, and then just some basic foundational things such as how dogs learn. Um, you know, a lot of times people will ascribe um, complex emotions to a dog that a dog's just not feeling. He didn't, you know, pee on that rug because he knows it's your favorite rug and he's mad at you, you know? Um, <laughs> but you hear people say a lot of that yeah. kind of stuff. Um, so it's just kind of helping them uh, know a little bit about um, canine behavior and canine communication and, and what realistic expectations are. And what their role is as pet parents in in making that happen. Do do people ever say no? It's you, you need to fix the dog. It's not me. I'm you know I'm doing this 100 percent right. It's 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 just this dog's. It's a uh, being a jerk or it's can't train this one. Do you ever get that kind of feedback or pushback whenever you're working with people? Sure. Um, I can think of one couple in particular. They um, were actually adopting a baby, but the baby was due to arrive in like a month or so. And they had a very young and rambunctious uh, doodle. I think it was a golden doodle. And um, I mean, the second I walk in the door, the dog's all over me. Very nice dog, but just very rambunctious. Not the kind of dog you want, you know, jumping up on you when you're holding a brand new baby or knocking over a toddler. Um, and so the, um, the, the mom-to-be was uh, very interested in, you know, hiring me to come out there and do some uh, few sessions with them and talk to them about what they need to be doing to, to prepare the dog. And the uh, husband was more um, dismissive of everything I was saying. Um, so again, not so much that, um, that you need to train my dog, you need to do something to my dog, but we're fine. You know, it'll be fine. The dog will be fine. He's, he's nice. He likes kids. He sees kids on walks. It's fine. Um, so just not really, um, thinking that it's a big deal, um, or, uh, that they maybe don't know everything <laughs> <laughs> and perhaps someone else might be able to help them. Um, so that's a little frustrating. And usually I require, um, both, um, uh, parents or adults in the home to be present, uh, because again, with any teaching of kids or dogs, you want everybody to be on the same page. You want all the adults to be consistent in what the rules are. Um, yeah, but in that situation, when I found out that the husband wasn't going to be home for the second session, I was like, oh, good. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we can get some work done. Because <laughs> the mother was very receptive. Sure. Yeah, and that can be really hard whenever you're trying to be consistent across the board and one person is ready to get going and the other person is doesn't think it's important you know that can really send some mixed signals and can 
make progress slow to happen over time if both people aren't investing in it. Exactly. And I mean, anybody who parents kids knows that, yes. <laughs> um, you know, and I often talk to my parents, the ones who have kids, because I also work with families who don't have kids. Um, but the ones who have kids, you know, they get it when you talk about some of these uh, training techniques or, um, you know, just the way um, behavior works, how, how animals learn. It's so similar to how we work with our children when it comes to, you know, positive reinforcement, consistency. Um, you know, if mom is the one who always says yes and dad's the one who always says no, um, the kids need to learn to know which parent to go to. Yep. Um, and the dogs do the same, you know, they, they, uh, they'll behave in front of mom, but not in front of dad or vice versa, because they know who yells at them and who doesn't. Um, so yeah, it's really important for um, people to be consistent um, with each other, um, but also just with the rules. Um, because if when you're in a good mood, it's okay for Fido to be on the couch. But if you're in a bad mood, it, it's not okay. Well, the dog doesn't know that there is nuances to the rules. <laughs> <laughs> and that's really hard is, is something like you mentioned. Sometimes you've had a really long day and work was terrible and you get home and you you know can snap and, and lash out at everything around you. And the kids and dogs are sitting there going, I don't know where this is coming from. Why is, why, are, why, you know, why is the punishment so severe right now when yesterday this was perfectly fine? So that can really get, that's very hard at a personal level is to maintain mm -hmm. consistency across feelings and emotions and great versus crummy days. Right. And at least with our kids, especially as they get older, we can verbalize to them. I'm so sorry I snapped at you, honey. Daddy's had a bad day at work. And they'll have some understanding of that. Yeah. Um, we can't even do that with our dog. Right. Um, so it's even more confusing for them. Sure. You've mentioned uh, your courses a couple times. And you, you talked about one, mm -hmm. the, the I Love Dogs. Talk more about those. I find those fascinating and, and really cool. Yeah, sure. I have a couple of different classes I do for kids. Um, basically, there's three of them. I teach a dog safety class for preschoolers called I Speak Doggy, and that's a curriculum that was developed by an organization called The Family Dog, and it's basically a music video about um, kind of uh, uh, when it's appropriate and not appropriate to pet dogs and how to pet dogs, and so the kids learn to sing the song, um, it's very cute, and it's uh, um, you know an easy way for kids to learn. And then the um, class for Dog Safety for Elementary Age Kids is called Be a Tree, and that was developed by an organization called Doggone Safe, um, and that one goes a little bit deeper into um, canine communication so that the kids can use their own eyes to assess whether a dog is safe or not safe to approach, so they get to learn about stress signals, um, and they also get to learn, you know, what kind of situation would be okay um, like, is it okay to pet a dog who's on the other side of, of a fence? Is it okay to pet a dog that is tethered, you know, tied up to something and there's no adults around? Um, is it okay to pet a dog that you see wandering alone in the park? Like, those kinds of things, um, more, like, situational um, that the older kids can understand. Uh, and also what to do if you run across a dog like that. Um, so, of course, the first thing a child wants to do if they're scared is run and scream, which is the exact wrong thing you want to do. Um, when there's a dog loose, because they will see you as prey and chase you, and you will just get them more aroused. Um, and it's hard to, and this is for adults as well, you know, the hardest thing to do is to just breathe and to stand still. But that's what we teach them is how to be a tree, um, because then you're boring, um, and the dog will probably just look at you, maybe sniff you, and walk away and find something more interesting. Um, and so we teach them those kinds of things. And then the class that I developed called I Love Dogs, um, it goes beyond just dog safety, but also, as I mentioned before, pet care. How do you take care of a dog? Um, and this was this came out of um, having some of the places where I have taught ask me for um, more than just dog safety. And so I, I kind of put this one together that was a little bit more all-encompassing. And then I have the Dog Plus Baby class that I teach for expectant parents. Um, and I am in the process of putting together a class that I'm going to be taking to senior centers, um, to pet-friendly senior buildings, um, to help uh, seniors 
uh, learn about how to take care of their dog. Wow. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah so you're really, I mean, uh, most of those are very focused on the, the smaller kids. Do you, is, is that typically where a lot of the incidents occur with interactions, you know, negative interactions between animals and uh, uh, people? Yes, children is definitely, and there's a lot of reasons. I mean, just physiologically, they're smaller, and so they're kind of more right there face-to-face with um, dogs, especially big dogs. Um, And so, uh, you know, a bite to you or I might be on the shin, um, but if it's a four-year-old child, that bite ends up being on the face. Um, And so that's one of the reasons why um, it can be more dangerous with little kids. But also little kids don't necessarily have good boundaries. Um, I mean, how many times has a kid run in and accidentally jumped on you (laughs) and hurt you because they're so happy to see you? Um, So sometimes, uh, you know, they uh, can hurt a dog. Um, They can jump in, especially when you have senior dogs who are already perhaps arthritic um, or in pain. Uh, You know, if if a child bumps them or jumps on them and causes them pain, that can cause them to bite. Um, and then, um, <clears throat> also, uh, the food situation, kids always seem to have food on them, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> falling from them, trailing behind them. Um, I mean, every dog's favorite place is under the high chair, yes. right? Um, to find the falling food. Uh, and so of course that can be a real draw for some dogs to want to perhaps nip at the child. Um, you know, if the, the kid's walking around with a big cookie in its hand. So there's several different reasons why, uh, and a big part of it is just lack of education. I mean, nobody's teaching the kids um, what they should or shouldn't be doing. Like one of the things we learn in I Speak Doggy for preschoolers is just the basics of when to leave dogs alone. If they're eating, if they're sleeping, um, you know, you don't go and try to pull a rawhide out of a dog's mouth. Um, and, you know, one of the things we talk about in dog plus baby classes is having a barrier between where the dog eats and where the toddler is climbing, you know, uh, crawling around. Uh, because a kid will stick his hands in a dog food bowl, you know, in a second because it's interesting, it's fun. Yeah. But if that dog is eating, those fingers become very tasty all of a sudden. Yeah. And, you know, or if the dog just has food aggression or is being protective, right. you know, in the, you know, toddlers, especially, you know, when they're crawling, love things at their level and dog bowls are right there and they're fun to play with yep. you know so i can definitely see that and we we went through some very similar working with our kids both of our kids and with our dachshund um he he has the temperament of a lab i don't know where he got this from but he <laughs> for being a dachshund he is so relaxed and is so tolerant of those two but he very clearly communicates when he's not happy and when he wants to be left alone it was just a, it was a great opportunity that my wife and I would could really latch onto and go l- listen to him watch what he's doing with his ears you know back away you know don't do that while he's doing this because when mm-hmm. we had other dogs around then we didn't really have to worry about them because they knew that well Kobe you know our dachshund acts like this I'm not going to deal you know I'm not going to go out and bother those other dogs because they may act like yeah that. yeah that's great that your kids have some some of that education before you had client dogs around. Yeah. And, and that's a, a, a growing thing. I feel like I run into a lot of people who are doing pet sitter, they're pet sitters, but they also have their own kids and may bring them around clients, whether on drop-in visits or within their home. So what are some steps that those, those sitters could and should take to ensure that everybody's safe and happy? Well, the best way to make sure everybody is safe is not bring your kids um but you know that can't always happen um if you you know you have to pick up your kid because they're sick or whatever and so you know just really making sure uh you know that if you can avoid it i would avoid it and of course making sure you have insurance that covers if any incidents happen um not only uh you know between the dog and the child but you bring the child to your client's home and they knock over an expensive vase or something you know so you have to be be really careful about, um, you know, insurance issues. Um, and then I would also make sure that you really know the dogs well, mm-hmm. um, because not all dogs like kids, right? You know, they're not all comfortable with it. Mostly because a lot of dogs weren't raised with kids and, uh, children can be scary. 
because they um, they move unpredictably, they make loud, strange noises. Um, you know, for a dog, a, a three-year-old is a completely different species from an adult, you know, mm-hmm. uh, or for that matter, even from a 12-year-old or a baby. They're all very different in the way that they move and interact in the world. Um, and so dogs are not necessarily comfortable with that. And we have to respect that. And you might have a client that says, oh, my dog loves kids or my dog's fine. Um, but we need to be able to use our own skills to assess that um, and not just take somebody else's word for it, especially, you know, if it's your kid who could be at risk. Um, you don't want to take somebody else's word for it. So you want to make sure that you know that dog and you're comfortable with that dog. Perhaps you've seen that dog with other kids or maybe that family has kids. Um, so, you know, he's got some level of comfort. Um, so, you know, again, it's uh, preparation and prevention is always the way to go. And then, of course, like what you did, teaching our kids very early on um, all that they need to know about dogs as far as what is safe, what is not safe, when to approach, when not to approach, how to approach. Um, and a big, uh, big one that I think is important for kids and adults to learn is that dogs need to have a choice about whether they want to interact or not. Um, so with kids, we teach pet, pet paws, um, you know, pet them a few times and then stop. If they walk away, they're done. If they don't, then they like it. Um, so that's one way to do it. Um, making sure that kids love to chase dogs and dogs hate to be cornered. Um, and, you know, if you, kids run and chase a dog into a corner, um, sometimes that dog feels like its only option is to lunge and attack to get out of there. So, you know, making sure that dogs have exit strategies, um, you know, and that's part of how you set up the house as well. Um, But just, you know, teaching kids what's okay, what's not okay, and to respect dogs um, will really go a long way. And as we talked about previously is, you know, there's a lot of groundwork that families go through to introduce a dog into a family. And when you bring your own kids over, you're kind of fast tracking that. And, it, right. and, and, and it's a whole new scenario because you're new, the kids are new, the whole situation is new. And so things are kind of heightened already. And, and so to really have um, good training and education, both on your part and your kid's part, if that's something that you're going to continue to do and clear communication with the owner about expectations and doing several meet and greets and several interactions before that actually happens to make sure that everyone's 100% comfortable. Right, right. I mean, I would definitely make sure that the clients are okay with you bringing kids over. Yes. Um, That's something that I'm I'm often talking to adults about, especially those who don't have kids, is that we need to be advocates for our dogs. And it's okay to tell people that, you know, when they say, oh, can I pet your dog? It's okay to say no. Um, You know, if you have a fearful dog or a dog who doesn't like kids, and sometimes kids just want to run up to you and pet your dog. Um, but people don't like to say, oh, you know, no, because maybe that means their dog is mean or their dog is, you know, a bad dog. And, um, and so I always recommend that people just say, oh, I'm sorry, he's in training right now. Yeah, um, and that's a way to keep people away without making him seem like a bad dog. Because you can feel so self-conscious to s- tell somebody no. They may, you may, as right. you mentioned, they may, you may start thinking, oh, they may think that's a bad dog or that they, something has happened before. Or I'm just being mean. But be an advocate, right. be an advocate. Cause you know, as you mentioned, your, yep. your dog needs an out. And sometimes that out is you getting your dog out of a situation. Yep. Yep. We need to keep them safe. They look to us for that and we need to do that for them. So I know all of those courses that you teach um, have, are, are a lot, are very in depth. I was wondering if you could walk through some basic, maybe age appropriate things that we could be teaching our kids or helping our clients to work through with their kids as their kids get older? Well, I think just some general things, you know, respecting a dog's space, um, letting the dog decide if and when and how they want to interact, um, learning about stress signals so that you can see when the dog's uncomfortable and needs to either leave the situation or have the situation leave the dog, Um, making sure that they're getting all their physical, mental, and emotional needs met so they're less likely to be stressed. Um, you know, that old saying that a tired dog is a good dog. Um, and that's very true and not just physically tired. Um, but is your dog getting enough mental stimulation? Uh, you know, it's unfortunate how many dogs just sit inside all day while their parents are gone. Um, and, uh, you know, 
what are you doing so that your dog feels uh, happy, um, mentally stimulated? Do you, you know, what kind of, of games can they play? What kind of puzzle toys do you have? Um, making sure their emotional needs are met um, also will help them be less stressed and be happier dogs. I mean, we're all nicer to others when we're happier, right? Um, so we want to make sure our dogs are having a fulfilled life as well. So um, remembering that all dogs like people are different. Not all dogs like all dogs or all people. Um, just like we don't like everybody, um, we can't expect our dogs to like everybody either. So just, I, I think, really respecting, teaching kids um, and ourselves to respect dogs and, uh, and, and to see what their needs are um, rather than just imposing our needs on them. Yeah, because it can be very tempting of, well, this is my dog. I got this dog to make me happy and it makes me happy. So why is the dog acting this way whenever I'm trying to be happy and I want to go for a walk and I want to be doing this and I want to be doing that to step back right. and go, oh, you know, maybe the dog doesn't want to go today. That's fine. There are days where I don't yeah. like to do certain things too. So, okay, that's fine. <laughs> right. Or you want a certain kind of dog and that's just not the dog you got. Yeah. You know, not every dog's a dog park dog. Right. It's not respectful to the dog to try to make him something he's not. Just like if you had a child that was shy, um, you wouldn't want to force him into social situations that made him uncomfortable you would have to, you know, rearrange your expectations. One of the services that you mentioned that you provide is crisis and grief counseling, which uh, I honestly think is something that doesn't get talked enough about in pet care circles. And and I, I recognize it's it's not just for the family. Um, we as as pet professionals who are providing this care get super attached to our to these furry friends. What are some signs that someone may need to be seeking some help? in dealing with the loss of a pet? Well, grief, unfortunately, is a natural part of life. Um, if you're going to love, you're going to grieve. Um, so we really need to let ourselves feel it and go through it. Um, pretending it's not happening um, is not helpful to the healing process. Uh, and it helps a lot if folks have supportive friends and family to talk to. Um, you know, and sometimes that's enough. Um, but not everyone is supportive of the kind of emotions that arise from pet loss. I mean, I think many of us pet lovers have experienced someone say something like, you know, we'll just get another dog or, you know, something that we don't feel is very supportive. Um, and so, uh, you know, if you need to talk to someone and you don't have someone supportive in your life, there are lots of hotlines, um, pet loss hotlines and support groups. Um, and those are really great for helping you see that you're not alone. Uh, and that your feelings are valid, that it's okay to be really upset about the loss of a dog. Um, you know, and for some people, uh, you know, especially like seniors, uh, that dog really was like their everyday um, companion. And it can be very depressing um, when people have become so close to their dog to lose their dog or their cat for that matter. So um, if you feel that your grief is getting in the way of daily functioning, um, if it is getting in the way of your close relationships, um, of your work, not being able to go to work or not being able to deliver, deliver quality work because, you know, your mind is elsewhere. Um, these might be times to seek professional help, such as a therapist. Yeah. You mentioned there is that, you know, it, it grief, true grief is, is natural part of that. And I like how you started off by saying, if you're going to love, you're going to grieve and, and knowing that that is going to happen and that's okay and that's normal. But when it starts to affect relationships and what's going on around you, that, that, that can be a sign that it's time to maybe reach out to, to get some help. And, you know, again, you might want to, you know, vet therapists to make sure that you find one that is empathetic to these sorts of things and that they're not also someone who's going to think that the loss of a pet is shouldn't be such a big deal. How has that side of it changed over the years? Um, it, it sounds like it hasn't always been as recognized as it currently is these days. Well, like we were talking before, I think a lot of it is the fact that we are identifying pets as family members now, and that wasn't always the case. And so when we have an animal who is living in our homes, in our beds, um, and again, for those people who maybe live alone, um, 
you know, it, this animal may play a huge part in their life. To lose that, uh, it can be very devastating. Um, you know, depending on on the bond that is built, because the the bond can be very uh, intense uh, for some people, and you know that wouldn't necessarily have been the case before if you know the dogs weren't always considered family members, um, and because of the number of pets and the number of pet products and services and everything that's been elevated over the years, it's become I think a little bit more um, acceptable. Uh, for, for us to to feel that loss because more people are are realizing the importance of pets in our lives. As you mentioned, when you reach out to somebody, you know, they may be a grief counselor or crisis counselor, ask if they have experience or expertise in dealing with pet loss specifically, because there's right. you know, that way they can they can deal with that and they can acknowledge and validate some of the things that you're going through. In most of your animal hospitals, um, animal shelters, will have um, resources. You can go to their website um, and they'll have a list of pet loss resources, such as hotlines and support groups. Um, so that's always a place to go as well. On the note of, of resources, um, we've, we've talked about a lot of different things. What are some of your favorite resources that you recommend people who are interested in these kind of topics? Uh, well, a couple of them that I've mentioned today, um, Doggone Safe is a wonderful organization. It's just doggonesafe.com. And they have great resources for pet professionals, but also for pet families. Family Paws, they're the organization that specifically works with dog plus baby, dog plus toddler issues. Um, And it's their information um, that I use to develop my dog plus baby class. And then their group called the Family Dog. And that's the one that created the curriculum, I Speak Doggy. And they have a few other curriculums as well and a new program um, to uh, become a dog trainer. Uh, there's one called Good Dog in a Box. They're great. They're um, a little, uh, they're fairly new. For pet professionals, a site that I'm really enjoying right now is called the Dognostics Career Center. And it's basically online classes of all kinds. I just finished a certification program um, to become a dog bite prevention educator through them. And then right now, I just started a class on end-of-life pet issues, and they just have all different kinds of classes, again, just to help all of us learn all the different pet care, pet issues, so that we can be great resources for our clients. Right. Yeah, there's so much out there. There's so much, so many great resources, and, and there'll be links to, to those and a few other things we've talked about in the show notes and on the website for, for this episode. Alicia, I really want to thank you so much for coming on and taking time out of your day. Um, I've really enjoyed this conversation, but I know we've only scratched the surface on all of these topics. There's so much more there. If people want to reach out and ask some more questions, uh, how can they get in, in touch and follow along with your work? Well, um, my company is called Pitter Patter Parenting. So I'm at pitterpatterparenting.com. And you can also find me on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, Yelp, all of those resources. And uh, thank you so much for having me on the show. I really enjoyed talking about these things. And uh, I'm a big fan of the podcast. So so thanks. Thank you very much. Hopefully, uh, we'll have you on again soon. Sounds good. We all have a role to play in keeping everybody safe. Even if you don't have kids, maybe your clients do. Be on the lookout for how their kids interact with their dog during a meet and greet, or maybe as you interact with your clients from time to time. Help educate them on the best practices. Share some of the resources that are in the show notes with them to make sure that their dog and their kids are able to play safe and happy every single day. And if you do have kids, begin teaching them the safe manners, these techniques, so that you don't have to worry about them whenever new dogs are around. And screen so carefully during those meet and greets. Ask those really specific questions and really watch for those behaviors in both your kids and for the dogs that you are bringing into your care. We can make the whole experience so much safer for everybody involved. Megan and I would love to hear from you and how you're doing, maybe some of your experiences in introducing a new puppy to your kids or your kids to dogs that you care for. Please email us at feedback at petsitterconfessional.com. Send us an email at feedback at petsitterconfessional.com. 
You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram, Pet Sitter Confessional, or leave us a voicemail, 636-364-8260. And if you enjoyed this episode or any of our past episodes, share it with a friend or leave us a rating and review on iTunes or wherever you're listening. Ha, 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 ha,